at Ephesians 6, chapter, chapter 6 this morning, and last week we started this series that we simply called Stand, and <clears throat> when we say stand, we're not talking about this whole idea of not, uh, not moving, staying stationary, but we're talking about this idea of not getting knocked down, not getting knocked out. So the passage begins in verse 10 of chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. That our strength is not in and of ourselves. Our strength is in the Lord. And if we're going to be strong in the Lord, we have to know his great strength, the strength of his might. And we are strong for this specific reason. Let's look at the next few verses. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Four, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. What's that mean? Yeah, flesh and blood simply means our battle is not against people. Sometimes it looks that way, but that's not the case. Our struggle... Not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So he clarifies the battle that we are in, the struggle that we are in as the people of God is not a physical, it's a spiritual battle. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. So we are to stand firm, stand strong, not as in stay stationary, but as don't get knocked down, don't get knocked out in this battle, in this spiritual war that we are in. So, at the core of that is putting on the full armor of God. But we're not going to look at the armor of God this week. That starts next week. For this reason, you only put on what you think you need. Actually, you really do. How many of you put on according to what you saw the weather was like today? How many of you? All right, and the rest of you wish you would have. You're like, ah, how did I forget that? You saw the weather and you went, I'm going to put on or not put on based what I see. If you get up tomorrow and it looks like it's going to be bright, sunny, blue sky in Florida tomorrow, cool but sunny, you're going to dress, you're going to put on accordingly. You put on what you think you need. If you thought an airplane that you were on was going to go down and you were on it, what would you put on? You'd put on a parachute. But when's the last time you put on a parachute when you got on the plane? Why? Because you thought, I don't think we're going down. <laughs> and if we are at 30,000, my parachute's probably not going to help me. You put on what you think you need. Here's the deal. You will never, we could spend weeks on the armor of God. No, we, we will spend weeks on the armor of God. But you won't put it on until you believe you, you need it. And so, why do we put on the full armor of God? Why do we need it? Because 
There is a devil. He is real. Satan, the opposer, the tempter, the devil, is scheming against the children of God. Scheming, what's that mean? It means he's not haphazard. It's not just whatever. He is thoughtfully plotting against whom? The children of God. And it's not just him. The passage says he has forces. And they are forces of wickedness and darkness. So there's not just one who is against us. There is one who is against us who leads forces of wickedness and darkness. Darkness who are scheming against us. And they are as real as they are unseen. Sometimes you get caught in Florida without your umbrella because when you got up, it looked like it was going to be a beautiful day. Everything you saw told you, I'm not going to need an umbrella today. And everything you see, can I have your eyes here? Everything you see in this life tells you your battle is against the people around you, your boss, your coworkers, your spouse sometimes, your kids. Because that's what you see. And it really is true. Out of sight is out of mind. And because we don't see the spiritual forces against us, scheming, we don't think we're at war. We don't recognize we are under attack. And this is not a theoretical sermon. See, we get to a passage like this and everybody wants to go, so what are the spiritual forces of darkness? And let's talk about demons and evil spirits. Now, I want to talk about this. There is somebody who wants to destroy your life. So I, I, if I don't see that as a, a man, I'm going to lose. And as a husband, there's somebody who wants to destroy my marriage to Jackie. Scheming against it. As a dad, there's somebody who wants to destroy my kids. Jackie and I just prayed yesterday for our kids. It's the enemy who schemes against them. All of them married now. That their marriages would last. Why? Not because we see things that make us think they won't. But because we know there are unseen things that don't want it to last. See, if you don't think that way, you're going to lose. Uh, 32 years here, I've seen way too many marriages not last. I've seen elders leave the faith, deacons abandon their family, staff members fall to temptation and be removed. Let's not be stupid and think, oh, that happens elsewhere to other people. He wants to wreck your life. And I'm not being like overly dramatic. I'm just saying, just because you see, don't see it doesn't mean it's not real. 
You don't see the wind, but you see the havoc it brings, right? And there is this unseen, real enemy that wants to wreak destruction in this body, in your life, in your family. The good news is both he, his forces, and his power are limited. He, in that sentence, is the devil. The devil is limited. His forces are limited. Limited in number and limited in capacity. We know this because we see repeated in Scripture this process where the devil even himself in the life of Job has to ask for permission to go after Job. He doesn't independently get to do whatever he wants. Yes, the scripture says he is the God of this world, but that does not mean he has absolute authority. And his forces throughout the life of Jesus had to obey the authority of Jesus. They could not go against his authority. When he said, you must leave, they had to leave. So, Are they real? Yes, they are as real as they are unseen, but they are limited in their scope, their power, and their authority. John Piper says, well, yes, Satan is the God of this world and the ruler of this age, but not ultimately. He is a lackey with a leash underneath this great God who decides who kings are and when they are done. Does the Lord do that on a human level? And he does it on a spiritual level as well. So let's not not think, ah, he just doesn't exist. You know, he's just a cartoon character with a tail and a fork and a red suit. But let's not go to the other extreme and think he has absolute authority. The, The devil... And his forces cannot be like God. He is not omniscient. He does not know all things. He is not omnipotent. He does not have all power. And he is not omnipresent. He cannot be at multiple places at multiple times. So friends, real, yes. Unseen, that's the struggle. If we could see it, we'd be better off. So we're going to have to see things with spiritual eyes. To recognize there is a spiritual enemy, but he is limited. And his limitation within the, within the people of God is most profound this. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Now, is he talking about sheep? No, who's he talking about? He's talking about not just humanity. He's talking about the people of God, those who have embraced him by faith and trusted him. They are his sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will, say it, never perish. Do you know why? No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. Did you catch that? Greater than all. And because he is greater than all, no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. So, as children of God, we have a real, unseen, powerful, but not all-powerful enemy. He wants to destroy you, 
and your relationships, but he can never reclaim the saved soul of the child of God. We have been indwelt by the Spirit and sealed by the Spirit. And because we are sealed by the Spirit and our God, our shepherd, is greater than all, once we are his, we are always his. We cannot be taken away. He cannot claim the saved soul of the child of God. So if he can't get you out of the family, you understand? It's like he married you and he'll never divorce you. God will never divorce you. If Satan cannot get God to divorce you or you divorce God, what can he do? Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So he can't reclaim your soul, but he can eat you alive. Specifically, Jesus said this, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. See, it helps me to understand that when I go through the door named Jesus, who declared he is the way, the truth, and the life, when I trust in him to be my sin bearer, when I am forgiven by him and made his child, he will never, ever disown me. I'm in the fold. I'm part of the sheep forever. I have eternal destiny of life promised. And I've been invited into a life abundant. In other words, being a follower of Jesus is more than just pie in the sky when I die. I don't know if you know that. When I was a child and I heard the gospel, I just thought it was about get out of hell, because that sounds horrible, and get into heaven. That'd be awesome. That's what I thought the gospel was, purely eternal nature in terms of its worth. I didn't understand that coming to Christ was actually an invitation into a door way of not only eternal life when I die, but abundant life now. It seemed to me, my exposure in church was, ah, I got to suffer and do all the things I don't want to do and not do all the things that I do want to do, but the payoff will be heaven. So that's worth getting out of hell. That's a pretty poor understanding of the gospel, but it might be closer to yours than maybe you admit. I just got to do all the things I don't and not do all the things I want and I'll get heaven. That is not the gospel. 
The gospel is we are invited into a relationship with God that is a promise of an eternal relationship because we will never be removed from the family. And between now and when I physically die, I'm invited in to live as God intended man to really live on this planet. I was made and you were made for relationship with God. You were made for the family of God. And it is the devil and his forces that want to blind you to that until God shines in your heart and then you're in. And he can't get you out. He can only seek to steal, kill, and destroy not eternal life, but to rob you, steal from you the abundant life that Jesus has promised to us as children of God. The goal, I know as a man of God, I know as a husband, I know as a dad, I know as a pastor, I know as a neighbor. The goal of the devil's scheming against me is to rob me, to destroy abundant life in the child of God. If he can't get me back for eternity, he's going to ruin the present on the planet as much as possible. See, I, I just want us to know what he's up to. What he can't be up to, because some of us live with, well, I lived with the fear that I could be in the family and get kicked out and then get back in and then get kicked out and it all determined what I did and what I didn't do. So I finally got truth that I could not lose what Jesus had done for me because I had not done it. See, if my salvation is based on what I do, then I can lose it based on what I do. But if it's based on what Jesus has done for me, then it's out of my capacity to lose what he has earned. This is what he's after. He wants to, in very specific ways, first, steal and destroy the fruit of the Spirit in your life. So we actually, sometimes we think, oh, the fruit of the Spirit, you know, these are the things I'm supposed to do for God. No, you know what the fruit of the Spirit is? is it, let me remind you, the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> it's not something you do, it's what God does in me and what God does through me. The fruit of the Spirit is, according to the Scripture, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I mean, folks, who doesn't want that? Nobody goes, yeah, 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 I don't really, I'm not really interested. I'd rather be hateful, depressed, worried, and on edge. That's the life I'm looking for. That's not, not the life you're looking for, but it might be the life that you are living or experiencing. Because the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. And what... The unseen but very real enemy wants to do is to rob you of love and of joy, of peace. And again, all I have to do is get that far. And I know some of you are thinking, wow, he's doing a pretty good job of that right now. Fruit of the Spirit is the life that God intended us. It's the life of God. That's what I mean. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the life of God that he has called us to be able to live in. 
And this is what he's trying to rob in your life. And not just the fruit of the Spirit, but to steal and destroy the work of God through your life. It's not only what God would do in me and what it means to live in his life, but then, as we declared in our identity statement during the worship, the Spirit of God lives in me too to do the work of God through me. I'm an instrument of God for more people finding more life in Jesus. And this will, I hope, be really simple and helpful to you. If he can't get you back out of the family of God, then the next best thing is to rob you and destroy any use for you getting other people into the family of God. Right? If he can't get you out, then next best thing, let's make you unusable, useless as an instrument of God. So, he wants to steal, kill, destroy children of God. And here's how. He was a murderer. See? It's always been this. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, and you could, ever, you could say whenever he speaks a lie. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So we know what he wants to do, to steal, kill, destroy, abundant life, the life of God in you, the life of God, and the work of God through you. And he has one scheme to do that, lies. He is a liar. If his lips are moving, he's lying. <laughs> and this, this really helped me. I hope this will help you. His lies are very intentional. His lies are to deceive me. Meaning what? Meaning to steal what is true. To distort what is right. To cloud the difference between right and wrong. To deceive. He wants me to think right is wrong and think what wrong is right. He wants me to think true is false and false is true. He wants to deceive me. Why? He deceives me so he can tempt me. His lies are deceived so that then he can lie to tempt me. You see, there are certain things that don't tempt me. And they don't tempt me because I'm not deceived. Do you follow that? When you are tempted, it's evidence, wow, there's deception here. The man who is tempted to cheat on his spouse has been deceived to think maybe life is not best found 
and faithfulness to the one I said I do to. Now, you might not say those things, but the fact that there's a temptation there, not just the opportunity, I didn't say opportunity, I said temptation. You're like, you're like, hmm, wow, that's worth considering. That's reflection of deception. I've never been tempted to try to swim across the ocean. Never. I've never thought, hmm, what if I should do that? I'm not even tempted to go into the ocean over my head. Do you know why? Because one time I got into the ocean about right here, and the current got really strong. And my daughter was in over her head, and it was pulling her away. And I was holding on her and trying to grip the sand with my toes as much as possible until we both got out. And I was like, yeah, I never need to go into the ocean over my head again. I'm not even tempted. I'm not deceived to think, oh, I just, you know, you just swim parallel. Now you don't. You freak out and drown. That's what you do. <laughs> I, I know what you're supposed I've been told. I've, I've seen it. I'm not like an idiot. I just don't know that I could do that. So I go, I'll keep my little feet on the hard ground. You see what I'm saying? The next time you're tempted, ask yourself, what am I deceived about that I'm tempted? He lies to deceive so that his lies will tempt you. So that then, when you believe his lies and yield to the temptation, he can accuse you. Loser! You thought you were so spiritual. You are a fake. You should just stop. You're no good at this. Just stop playing the game. It's not real. He deceives to tempt, to accuse. And if I might say, he's good at it. He's good at making you believe stuff that isn't true is true. And he's good at getting you to doubt stuff that is true. Maybe it's not really true. So, to keep this real, I ask myself, what are the lies that I hear from this congregation? in conversation and email. And then, to keep it especially real, I'm going to share with you the lies that I've believed. Because there are lies that all of us are tempted to believe that will lead us to temptation, which will give a platform for the accuser to go loud on us. If God loved me, my brother wouldn't have died. If God loved me, we would have been able to have kids. If God loved me, that would have never happened to me. What's he getting at? The fruit of the Spirit is love, and one of the greatest goals of the enemy is to get you to doubt very, at the very core God doesn't love you. 
I mean, look at your life. If he does love you, he has a stupid way of showing it. If he loved you and he was powerful, he'd do something about it. I don't have to make that stuff up. If God loved me, that would not have happened to my brother in the foyer. God could never forgive me. Or, it finishes, God could never use me. God could never forgive me. Next Sunday, Sanctity of Human Life, baby dedication. And there'll be women who will grieve deeply. God can never forgive me for my abortion. God could never forgive me because I encouraged my girlfriend or my spouse an abortion. God could never use me. It's the lie. What's he want to do? He wants to rob you of love, joy, peace. I need to do what feels right to me. It's very popular. It's not true, but that's the lie. I just need to do what feels right to me. I know what you're saying. I just need to do what feels right to me. God would not want me to stay in a marriage in which I am not happy. We've gotten that email dozens of times. It's the setup for why I'm ending this marriage. Because God loves me. And if he loves me, he'd never want me to be unhappy. And I'm unhappy with this person. So God loves me. I'm unhappy equals I'm leaving. God didn't make me a people person. I got this email this week. But thankfully, from a person who said, uh, one of the things I'm most grateful for, for is the lie that was exposed in my life that I had hid behind for years. That, you know, I, I don't engage with people. This neighbor dude, I'm not like, going to bless my neighbors. I'm not a people person. Doug, God made you a people person. You should do that. I live behind a book. I don't engage with people because I'm like a numbers person, not a people's person. I'm like a tech person, not a people person. That's a lie that lots of you go, oh, I don't think that's a lie. That's convenient. (laughs) That's helpful. That keeps me safe. (laughs) If you're in a relationship with God, you're a people person. Because he's a relational God. If I forgive people too easily, they will not learn their lesson. In different forms, this has shown up in at least a dozen Q&As after the service. Almost any time I talk on forgiveness, some version of this. Yeah, but I don't know. If I forgive, will they learn their lesson? You'll never forgive as God intends you to forgive as long as you think it's your job to teach people their lesson. We think, we think, no, 
I got to punish them or they'll get me again. I'm not going to be a doormat. That's the language. If I forgive people, I'll just become a doormat. Got to teach them the lesson. And so what's he robbing us of? Destroying love and joy and peace and patience. And Remember the next one? Kindness. Kindness. And he calls himself one who is kind to evil and ungrateful. He was talking about me there. Maybe you too. He was kind to evil and ungrateful people. So, not my job, but that's a lie. We're ten- and then there's this lie. That's the one you believe that I didn't put up here. <laughs> Seriously, if you, if you were to take a risk and go, here's the lie that I... Because it's just not one. There's lies that we tend to believe. You go, uh, I don't know if I'm going to... I don't think that's true. Well... I'll go first. Don't confess your sin again until you're more committed to never do it again. I believe that lie, believe that lie, believe that lie. Why? Because all of us know we have so many forgiveness tokens and you're about to use them up. You better save the last few to when you really need them. Well, even when those words come out of my mouth, you know, that's an idiot. Well... Well, then I'm an idiot because I believe that. God knows that you don't really mean it, so stop saying it. It's a lie. It's been effective in my life. And when I'm thoughtful and clear-minded, I go, hmm, there would be only one person who would not want me to confess my sin, and that would not be the Lord. Who would that be? The one who is scheming against me, who wants to steal, rob, and destroy. So, you may have never put it in terms like that, but that's a lie that has robbed me in life. Don't confess until you know you're not going to do it again. Well, guess what? I'm done confessing that. If I can never confess until I know I'm never going to do it again... I can't confess. If God calls you to do something, Doug, he'll take away your fear of doing it. (laughs) And so, I don't do stuff that I'm afraid of. Then we go, I don't believe that lie. Yes, you do. Here's the way, here's the way Christians say it. I was thinking about this, I was praying about it, but, but God closed the door. Oh, you know what that means? I got chicken. I was scared. So God closed the door. We invite people who've come to Christ to share their testimony as part of being baptized. Now, lots of churches will just, you know, hey, dunk them. We ask you, give a testimony. And without doubt, without, without almost exception, people will go, I'm scared. And I go, I know. I know. Because fear scares just a regular part of reality. Actually, if I didn't do what the Lord 
called me to do until he took away my fear of doing it, I wouldn't do very much. And I certainly wouldn't be standing up here today or any of the time for the last 32 years. Because the Lord's never taken away my fear. What do I do? I speak to my fear. I preach to my doubt. We sang it. Maybe you didn't know what you were saying. But I speak to my fear. I preach to my doubt. And I believe the Lord will make me strong. But I'm not counting on that the Lord will take my fear of standing in front of people and talking away. I've asked him. And he has very politely said, no. Repeatedly, no. And so no is not a don't do it. No is a learn to experience the faithfulness and the goodness of God. It's actually been, well, I I range. Many times I'm thankful. Lord, I would not know you if you would not have called me to step into my fear. I would not know you the way I know you. Other times I'd think, Lord, I would sleep so much better. Please, come on. And I'll tell the Lord at 2 o'clock in the morning, Lord, you know I need sleep. And then I always catch myself, no, I actually don't need sleep. I would like sleep, but I don't need sleep. So if that lie is robbing you, recognize it's a lie. You need to stay away from unbelievers in order to be holy. That lie the church taught me. (laughs) And that got reinforced in Bible college. The only way it was helpful to be holy and be with unbelievers if you went out of the country to do it. If you're a missionary, hey, but if you stay here, no, 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 no. And I was fine. I was like, that's so stupid. Why is it holy to go overseas and hang out with unbelievers, but unholy to be in the country and hang out with unbelievers? You probably ought to ask yourself that, if that's a lie that has. This was the standard of holiness. You don't drink, chew, or hang with those who do. You wasted your time if you were with an unbeliever but didn't share the gospel. See, I got over this lie and then embraced this one. Okay, I'm allowed to be like in the country and with unbelievers, but you got to share the gospel with them. So my neighbor invites me to go fishing. I'm offshore fishing. One of the things I absolutely love to do, but I can't enjoy it because the whole time I'm like, where do I get the gospel in here? Where do I get the gospel in here? And he's like, what's wrong? I'm like, I'm trying to figure out how to share the gospel with you because we can't just talk because that would be a waste of time. You never think that? Maybe you didn't. That's, I come home. How was it? Ah. You didn't catch anything? Oh, I called Big Fish, but I, I missed the guy. I didn't catch him. And, uh, what a waste of a day. And you may think, oh, you're fooling. I'm not fooling. I lost all sense of joy and relationship because there was just like one thing on my mind. Now? Now? Awkward? It's just always awkward. Well, do you love Jesus? Okay, look at that tuna. Do you know Jesus? You know you're a sinner? You know you could die and drown? If you drown when you fall off this boat after I push you in, where are you going to go? You know, you got to figure out something. 
And, and then the unbelievers are like, you're so weird. What's wrong with you? And where'd that come from? And the enemy's going, that is such a good lie. If they start hanging with them, just make them like that obnoxious hanging with them. So that now they're allowed to, but nobody wants to. <laughs> All right. My point is this. I don't have to read books or sit in my office and go, what would people potentially think? I just know the lies that have robbed me and maybe are robbing you. I know mine. Why do you need to know yours? Because they're going to lead you to temptation which will give the platform for accusation until you go, that's a lie. And I'm not deceived. And if I'm not deceived, then I'm not tempted. And if I'm not tempted, then there is no accusation. See how it works? Yeah, we got to put on the full armor of God. But first, what's the lie? I wrote mine down. Would you write yours down? Maybe discuss it with your spouse, your family, or a friend. What are the lies that are robbing you? The first thing is to identify them and then label them for what they are. Lies. It's a lie. It's a lie that's I'm not smart enough to be used by the Lord. That's a lie. It's true that sometimes I'm too smart to be used by the Lord. But it's a lie that I'm never smart enough. I could give you lots of lies that have robbed me in my life. But you don't need to know mine. You need to know yours. Here's great news. His schemes are defeatable. And the schemes are defeatable for three reasons. Because truth is knowable. See, if his goal is to lie, to deceive, then the antidote is truth. And truth is knowable. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching. That sounds like it's the Bible's profitable if you can teach it. The Bible is profitable for knowing truth. It's for communicating that truth. We can know. Every answer Jesus demonstrated, lots of you know it, when the devil himself tempted in the wilderness, in each occasion he answered with the word of God. Truth is knowable. And if you are not seeking to know it, you're going to stay deceived, tempted, and accused. It's profitable for teaching, for truth, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. There's a reason we are committed to in every worship service. Teach the scriptures because knowledge in and of itself is not enough. That'll only make you proud. But knowledge is necessary. Can't be by itself. The goal of our instruction is 
love. But it starts with knowledge so that we're not deceived. Truth is no, because truth is knowable. Temptation is resistible. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful. Not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. So you'll not be tempted beyond what you're able because you know truth. And truth exposes lies. But with the temptation, will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. And if you have truth, then you have your way of escape. Temptation is resistible because truth is knowable. Does that mean you're going to always resist it? No. No, the same, the same lies I just revealed to you, they still win in my life at times. But my advocate is greater than my accuser. See, God very intentionally defeats Satan at every turn. He exposes his lies with truth. He defeats his temptation by giving a way of escape. And he defeats him as accuser by giving us a greater advocate. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins. See, I love, I, I love that right there. We have what we need so that we don't have to sin. And if we sin, meaning <laughs> when we sin, we have what we need so we don't. But when we do, because that's real life, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. And so regularly we take the elements of the Lord's Supper to remind us that our penalty has been paid. So would you take out your elements and would someone please bring me some? <laughs> Thanks, John. That horrible moment where I went, I don't have mine. <laughs> Thank you. If you're like me and need one, just go ahead and put your hand up. All right. If you have one, go ahead and take off the cellophane on top, and then the foil. These are the reminder. Our advocate is greater than the accuser. Your penalty has been paid. Why? Because he who was without sin became sin for us. And that by his blood, our punishment would be nailed to the cross, forgiven and set free from slavery to sin. This is the truth. God loves you. He could not love you more. God loves you. He gave his son, who was without sin, to pay your penalty. God loves you. He could not love you more. 
So I want you to stand with me and let's declare. Before we take, yes, I, you heard me, correct? <laughs> I want you to stand with me. And I want us to declare the truth of the scripture. And then we're going to declare the truth in song. Say it out loud with me. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor debt, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's take in remembrance of him. Advocate greater than the accuser. Let's sing together. Almighty fortress, you go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadows. You win every battle. Nothing can stand against the we go to the Lord in prayer, I want you to know that there are people after each service, men and women, who want or stand ready to pray with you and to fight that battle with you. So I want to encourage you to, to, to do that. We have a team here that meets every Wednesday night. You not, might not be aware of this. The Praying Church meets every Wednesday night. And they come and they bring the needs of this body to the Lord. And it's been a powerful night. And they're always looking for more prayer warriors in that case. So if that's something that you feel like you can do, I know you can, and I know it's powerful, and we know it works. So I hope you have a blessed day. Thank you so much for being here. Go in the power of the Spirit. We'll see you next time.